Welcome to church. It's good to be back. Um, for those of you who don't know, I have been away for two weeks. We've been camping on holidays, and it was fabulous. Um, if I look a bit more tanned, it's not just the lights. Um, I did, by mistake, one day forgot to put sunscreen on. Um, well, it wasn't really a mistake, but I just get a bit lazy. But let's 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 not dwell on those points. I've already got into enough trouble already for lack of uh, sun-safe behaviour. While I've been gone, I have heard that that the messages that have been preached in this church have been outstanding. That your lives have been changed. In fact, your behaviour has been changed between when I left and now I've arrived back. That you are totally different people. Is this correct? No. no. Okay. Have I been misled then? Well, in that case, we'll still, this morning, continue the work in progress. Because who knows that... God loves us as we are, but he loves us enough not to leave us here, and that he actually wants us to move on. And so the message that we've been preaching, and it was interesting that Loretta said that we're halfway through the book of Galatians, and it's October. You sort of think, how could you spend a whole year not even finishing a single book of the Bible? And I think it's a great example of the fact that the Bible is not a novel. It's not something just to read and think, that's a nice plot unrealistic in places but uh, you know some of the characterizations are a bit shallow or a bit deep I mean you get kings of Israel who, who reigned for 40 years and get one sentence he reigned for 40 years all was well full stop so I think, and some people who are really naughty they get pages and pages of all the things they did wrong it's so like where's the justice here you know show me the editor but it's not about that it's about what we can Get out of the Word of God to become more like our Saviour and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've been going through Galatians and hopefully we've been getting a few clues. I have. Just a few. And so I'm going I'm to ask a question. What has the message been so far in the book of Galatians? I'll give you a, I'll give you a, a hint. There are two words that are important here. Salvation and grace. So what, what's the message? Oh, very good. Well, actually, I was going to say salvation by grace. Um, but is it, is it, have people got that then? Is it, we get saved by grace. And what else? Let me ask that question again. We are saved by grace and what else? Nothing. Right. And I don't know about you, but when, when you've been preaching it for this long, you get to the point, you sort of think, well, hang on. If it's just by grace... What happens to all this law business? If I'm saved by grace, do I actually have to obey the law of God? Because it, it's not involved in my salvation. And you sort of think, well, if I'm free from the law, I don't have to obey it. Is that, has anybody thought of that? Is that just, just me? No. If I'm always saved by Christ's performance and not mine, why should I strive to live a holy life? Why can't I just be an utter bastard and say, I'm saved by grace and you can get stuffed? Yeah, I mean, that's what it says. That's what Galatians is telling me. So do I have an obligation to keep God's law? And if so, why? And the reason I know this is important is because Paul 
in this chapter 3 and verse 15, I think it is, of Galatians, asks that same question. Because there is no more practical question that faces a Christian as, as a Christian, what is my relationship with God's law supposed to be? And so Paul starts to unpack this in Galatians 15. And he says, Dear brothers and sisters, who's he talking to? Us. Here's an example from everyday life. I love it that Paul says everyday life examples are good. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement. So what's an irrevocable There's a good word for it called covenant, which is a lot easier to say. An irrevocable agreement is one that cannot be gone back on. And he says, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it said to his child, and that, of course, meant Christ. So he's talking about an agreement that human beings make with each other that is binding. Now, let me tell you, if I, if I was to go to Barry today and say, Barry, you and I have entered into a legal agreement. And the agreement we've entered into is binding and you are bound by it and there's nothing you can do about it. Even though you don't know we've entered into the agreement and I haven't consulted you. Now, who would put up with that? Who feels that that's really unjust? Who is interested to know it happens all the time? People enter into an agreement, usually they actually know about it, but they are not consulted and yet they are legally bound by it. It's called a will. And why don't people complain about it? <laughs> because the person who is at the other end of a will is called a beneficiary because they benefit. And nobody, as, as Brendan said, you get stuff. Who's going to complain about whether you get stuff or not? Now, it's not legally binding in that you have to keep the stuff. Usually, it's a question of you get an inheritance and then you can do what you like with it. But while that will is in effect, circumstances cannot change that will. And so that is a binding... And Paul is saying here, this is what happened with God and Abram. They had an agreement that Abram... And I might talk about this a, a little later... It's, no, I'll talk about it now. Um, I'll follow my notes. That's the sort of covenant that God makes with Abram because I don't know whether you've noticed, and I won't go through Genesis 15, but there's homework for you if you want to read that, that, that they had a covenant. In fact, they went to the extent of chopping up animals and cutting them in half. Did, did Nathan go through this? Didn't get to that bit? And that sounds a bit gross. If, we, if Barry and I went in agreement, we wouldn't go and find some animals, cut them in half. Um, and then the idea was you walked between the two cut halves of the animals. And that was symbolic of the fact that if you, if you broke the agreement, then the other person had the right to chop you in half, just like the animals. So now you know why the agreement was binding. Nobody wanted to be chopped in half. Um, and that was the way it was done. That was pretty normal. Well, not the chopping other people in half, necessarily, but the animals. And the idea was that both parties would walk between the two halves of the animals and the agreement would be signed. And so this is what God does with Abraham. He gets him to go and get these animals and he chops them in half. And then Abram falls asleep. And he, in his dream he sees a, a flame, the flame of God, 
go between the two halves of the animals. So God signs the covenant and Abram falls asleep. So he doesn't actually get to get up and sign. So he does exactly the same thing. God has signed a covenant with Abram, but Abram fell asleep and didn't sign it himself. Yet he's still legally bound by it because he's a beneficiary. And so Paul is making a point here that this, this promise business is, is important. And he actually, in Galatians 3.17, says, This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be cancelled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would have to have been breaking his promise. Now, it's quite interesting. You sort of think, well, if the law of Moses was so important, why did he wait 430 years to, to introduce it? What happened to all the people in that time? If the law is so important, how did the people beforehand get by with it? Because it's not that important. So why couldn't the agreement of the law, even though it was 430 years later, why couldn't that supersede the promise God made to Abraham? You want me to answer that, don't you? I can see you're just sitting there waiting. Because it wouldn't have been a precedent. It happens all the time. The New Testament is an agreement which supersedes the Old Testament. There are all sorts of agreements that you read in the Bible that the new agreement nullifies the old agreement. So it's not, it's not an unusual thing to happen, but why isn't it possible in this case? And Paul goes on in Galatians 3.18 and he tells us, see if you'd read a head like Loretta, now no bullying her afterwards just because I've told her she's good in front of the whole class. Did that ever happen to you at school? You never wanted to be singled out because somebody uh, it recessed, they'd come and say, yeah, goody two-shoes, are you nerd? Actually, the word nerd wasn't invented when I was at school. You were called a swat. Which, yeah, let's not go into that. Um, swatting, studying, swat back. Anybody heard of swat back? That's what that means. Um, so there you go, learning all the time. Um, <laughs> Paul goes on to stop that. Settle down. Galatians 3.18, he says, For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. So you see, this is actually a really powerful argument. If the law of Moses came as a way of salvation, then it means that God has changed his mind. And that we actually don't need a saviour. Jesus is unnecessary and we can just get salvation by being good. Now I understand that and I think I've got a fair shot but the rest of you are stuffed. (laughs) And I'm not saying that for me, I'm saying because all of the rest of you are thinking that of everybody else. I could probably get into heaven but the rest of you, forget it. And so, which is a good thing really because neither of none of us can get into heaven based on our performance. So the principle Paul's getting across here is the very concept of promise and laws are mutually exclusive. If I give you something because of what I've promised, it has nothing to do with your performance. But if I give you something based on your performance, it has got nothing to do with what I might have promised you. And, and, th- and this is actually really important because if you think about it, for a promise to come true, all you have to do is accept it. For a, for a law to come have a result, you have to obey it. Actually, funnily enough, for most of us, the law only has a result when we disobey it. I mean, just look at 
Speeding fines. I mean, if the law really worked, nobody would get a speeding fine because we'd all obey the speed limit. But the thing is that the only news you hear about speeding fines is how much money the government is generating with speed cameras and things and imposing fines. Have you thought about the fact we could stop that? We could stuff up the government. We could not speed. And they, what would they do? They would be... Would, I'm thinking of starting a, a movement. I, I think I'll get a Facebook page. Keep to the speed limit. Yeah, that'll go down well. Let, let me give you an example. Who's met my Uncle Jack? No one? Good, I can use him as a fictitious character. Let me say that I went up to Chris and I said, my Uncle Jack wants to meet you, Chris, and he wants to give you $10 million. You would think, this is a nice Uncle Jack. Now, assuming that I did have an Uncle Jack and he had $10 million, what's the only way that Chris cannot get $10 million if he doesn't believe me and doesn't go to meet Uncle Jack? Uncle Jack will probably say, well, okay. No money. But if he turns up, guess what? He gets $10 million. Now, as Uncle Jack said, now, is Chris a nice guy? Is he a really good person? He hasn't said any of that. He just said, you turn up, you get the $10 million. But on the other hand, say, I said, Chris, my Uncle Jack wants to meet you, and he wants, me to, give you, he wants to give you $10 million if you look after him until he dies. That's slightly different, isn't it? Because instead of giving Chris a promise, I've given him a job and a wage. That's a pretty good wage. But it's, and you don't know how old my, my Uncle Jack is. I mean, he might be younger than me. After all, Ben has aunts younger than him. No uncles, though. And so for Chris to get the money, he has to fulfill a requirement of looking after my Uncle Jack until he dies. So a gift promise needs only to be believed to be received, but a law giving a wage must be obeyed to be received. So guess what? The law of Moses must be there for a different purpose than the promise of Abraham. They are not two things butting up against one another. They are actually two different things that God wants to show us. And next week, I'm going to tell you what they are. But before we move on to that, we need to ask, what's the relevance? I mean, Paul's talking about this, but now this is all Old Testament stuff. What relevance does this have to do with the Galatian church and even our church? Because guess what? Galatia is not in Israel. So they're not, they're not physically part of the land of Israel. And Moses had been dead a long time before they heard about him. So they have no real connection to this Old Testament story, this promise of God, beyond what Paul has, has told them. And so he's actually trying to, to rectify a misunderstanding that people have got from this story. And the misunderstanding is the fact that God promised to bless his people. Actually, that's an understanding, because God did promise to bless his people. The misunderstanding comes from the fact that this blessing was achieved or kept by obedience to the law. Are you with me? So people had got, grasped the fact that God wanted to bless his people, 
but they'd suddenly, somehow, not suddenly necessarily, fallen under the influence of people who had told them that, hang on, that's great, but God doesn't, Uncle Jack just doesn't give $10 million away. Notice J, Jack, J for Jesus. And he just thought of that. <laughs> Deep theological stuff in there. But they were trying to be convinced by false preachers that God just doesn't give away salvation. You've got to earn it. And they, they refer to the law of Moses to show this. But they're referring to something that is unrelated to salvation. God did not bring the law of Moses in to negate the promise of salvation, to add to the promise of salvation, or to take the promise of salvation away. Therefore, the law of Moses must be there for something else. And you'll have to come back next week to find out what it is. So, I just keep saying that in the hope that you'll come back next week. I'll upset Toby now. He wants me to tell him now. And you see, for the Galatian church, and just as much in today's church, if you look at new believers, people come to an acceptance of Jesus Christ because they see Jesus Christ crucified for their sins. And they recognize the miracle in that of the fact that they're getting a gift which they don't deserve and that God actually wants to give them. And so we, we get saved on that premise that we see that Jesus Christ died for us while we were sinners. And that's ex- who, who was excited by that when they were saved? It's like, phew, it's a great weight lifted off your shoulder. Jesus died for I didn't have to do anything to deserve it. He just did it. And as new Christians, we accept the love of God with abandon, basically. But then we learn about Christianity. And we learn are certain things that are expected of us and so we actually learn to become christians which is a good thing in the sense that we are an exa- we are a light light to the world soul to the earth and that we're there as examples but people start to get the priorities wrong and we start to reverse this whole idea that we're saved by grace and we try to impress people by our works this is what it means to be a christian to be a good person and so as we get older in our Christian walk, we tend to feel that because we get better at being, we, we read the Bible. Sometimes we even memorize it. We are good. I've read it. haven't memorized much of it, but I like to read it. And we substitute that for saying, well, I've read the Bible a couple of times. I reckon God must be pretty pleased with me because I know a lot about him. I bet you he's impressed. And I asked Barry, you know, how many times have you read the Bible? Only twice. Can you remember any of it? Quote me a scripture. Uh, that's not an important scripture. I think my Christian walk is better than Barry's. And so God must be more impressed with me than he is with Barry. I don't know why I'm picking on Barry this morning. It's all right, Barry, you're in the will. <laughs> Notice that it's interesting with wills. You notice that you have to be a beneficiary? There's no such thing as a legally binding will that says, when I die, you must kill yourself. Because that wouldn't be nice for a start. But it's also not legally binding. Only giving people something you have is, is legal in, in the sense of a will. You can't issue instructions after your death to 
lay waste to the city of Sydney or um, I was going to say Palmyra, but I don't know why. It was probably something politically incorrect about it, so I didn't say it. Um, <laughs> oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> Sorry. But so, yeah, we begin as, as we live our Christian lives by looking at how our human effort in terms of becoming Christ-like is rather than looking at Christ's effort to get us to see his grace. And so the problems of doing this is, A, it makes us very insecure. Because Barry's insecure because I've just told him that I'm better than him. And Barry, being a sensitive soul, has initially said, well, stuff you because I don't care. But really deep down I know that Barry is crying on the inside. (laughs) And he has become insecure because somehow he's just got the feeling that I've given him. God didn't give him this feeling. But I've given him the feeling that somehow God plays favourites. And that he might not be good enough. And so, unbeknownst to me, he goes away and he reads and reads and reads the Bible. And he memorises verses. Not because he's interested in the Bible. Not because he's trying to get close to God. But because he's trying to compete with me. Now, I know that wouldn't happen because Barry doesn't have a competitive bone in his body. (laughs) And I apologise for lying. Um, But you can see how... Our desire to do the right Christian thing can be warped because it's not doing the right things that's important. It's why we do the right thing. Oh, nearly given away next week. Close. You nearly caught me, you sneaky people. So, as we go on as Christians, it's tempting and easy to look at ourselves and our own effort, resting on our own performance to give us ourselves a sense of acceptability before God. Because that's how, our, that's how our society works. And the only thing that comes out of that is despair or pride. Depending on who you've talked to, they're either prideful and you're despairing or the reverse is true. So Paul is telling the Galatian Christians here and he's telling us the same thing. That we need to turn our ears away from false teachers who give us tasks to do. We get a job and a wage. And who knows that when it comes to forgiveness of sin, the job, if we take it on, is never finished. Because we never stop sinning. I know you didn't want me to tell you that, but we don't. We can never... See, we get this odd idea that sins have a a scale. In fact, I grew up in the Catholic Church... And they had little sins that they called venal sins and really bad ones that they called mortal sins. And when you went to confession, and let me tell you that confession is actually a good thing, but the side effect of that in the Catholic Church was that if you went to confession, and as a kid, this is what I used to, I used to go to confession and I'd say, uh, I swore at my sister three times this week. Uh, actually, I lied as well because I actually did it four times. Um, <laughs> And uh, I kicked the cat. We didn't have a dog, so I couldn't kick the dog. Um, and I was, I was nasty to my mum. And often I wasn't quite sure about that one, but I thought I'd throw it in just in case. And depending on how many sins I could recite or how bad they were, you know, once I actually tried the I kissed my girlfriend sin, because there was a book up the back of our church that said, is kissing a sin? Um, and apparently it was. Uh, but I, I didn't confess that often, because if, if I did that, 
huge string of prayers to pray afterwards. You know, three Our Fathers, five Hail Marys, and six Acts of Contrition. But if I didn't confess the kissing one, I only got about one Our Father, two Hail Marys, and one Act of Contrition. So I thought, well, that's, that, that's a contentious one. I'll speak to God about that later, but we'll leave that off, because it used to take forever. You'd kneel at the back of the church, and, and you were deeply in prayer. You, you were connected with God. It was... Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. King come, thy will be done. Thy will in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive them who trespass against us. Amen. Our uh, Father, who art in heaven, so, a real, a real, can you sense the real connection I was having with God? Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among sinners. Blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother, God, pray for our sinners now. For the hour of our death. Amen. Gosh, I, I feel holy. And so, as, as a thirteen-year-old kid, I'd be up the back of the church reciting those as fast as I could, so I could get back to my seat, because the, the penance bit was boring. And I wasn't repentant. Let's face it. None of it meant anything to me. And so, although we need to confess our sins to God, we need to make sure that we're not putting a hierarchy on these things. Because God just draws a line in the sand. He says, sin, holiness. And he says, your aim is to cross that line. Guess what? Nobody ever has bar one person. And he didn't actually ever come on this side of the line. He was always on this side of the line. Reminds me of that joke about the, the two Irish boys caught speeding in the back box of Killarney. That's a clean joke. <laughs> and it's one of those Irish cops he gets out and he's... Uh, I won't mention their names or do an Irish accent because I can't. And uh, he says, you boys are in big trouble. He says, your car has a missing tail light. I'm going to inspect the rest of it. And he gets his truncheon out and he draws a circle in the dirt. And he says, you guys stay in that circle while I inspect your car. I don't want any trouble from you. So he goes around the car and he looks for things. And he's looking at the headlights. And he looks up and the two guys are standing in the circle. And they're giggling like crazy. He says, what are you guys laughing at? They got nothing, nothing at all. He says, right, I'll show them. And he gets his, he smashes the headlight. He says, see, another defect. This is going to cost you double. And he looks around, they're cacking themselves. They're rolling around the ground inside the circle, laughing. And he, he gets really steamed. So he smashes all the lot. So this is going to cost you hundreds. And he turns around and they're absolutely, they've, they've weed themselves. They're laughing so hard. They are a mess. And he storms up and he says, what are you guys laughing about? <coughs> and they collected themselves, <coughs> just as I am. And uh, finally, when they got themselves together, they said, while you've been smashing our car, we've been stepping out of the circle. <laughs> and sometimes we're a bit like that when it comes to sin. We ignore the really big important things, but we get excited about the fact that somehow we've managed a bit more holiness. I'm not sure that was strictly relevant, but it, it, it's, it's got... You can understand that what I'm trying to say. Good. So the promise precedes the law the law cannot coexist with the promise in bringing blessing and the law does not set aside the promise as the source of blessing the purpose of the law i'll tell you next week can i get you to stand oh, can i get actually sit down if you've been a christian or if you've if you gave your life to the Lord more than two years ago. Right, can I have the people still standing coming up the front, please?
Let's extend it to three years ago. If it was, if it was less than three years ago, come out the front here. Now, I'm making a big assumption here. Yeah, you can come. That's good. Now, what I want you guys to do is come a bit further forward. And I want you to turn around, face me. Now, all you guys sitting down, I want you to stand up. And I want you to come and face these guys out the front here. So you might have to move back a bit further. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to make you do anything horrible. Now... I don't actually know whether this is true or not. I'm actually making a big assumption here. But one of the things that happens as we get older in our Christian walk is that we, we try to be more Christian. Now, these guys, I'm believing in faith here. And don't tell me if I'm wrong because I'm, doesn't, it's not going to matter. Haven't got to that stage. And so I'm going to ask them just to lay hands on you guys and impart or re-impart that spirit of the acceptance that they are saved by grace that there is nothing that they can do to earn their salvation, that they're still fresh in the knowledge and the excitement that they saw Jesus crucified on the cross and that is what their salvation is all about. And so just perhaps if you form a line in front of each one of these, so one, two, three, four, five, six lines and you guys can, you guys can pray if you like or you can just rest a hand on their shoulder, just give them a couple of seconds, um, say God bless you, or just say nothing, whatever's comfortable for you. And as soon as they've taken the, the hand off your, sh- your shoulder, you can go back to your seat. See, I also did a naughty thing here, you might have noticed, is that I didn't train any of these guys to pray for you. I didn't even vet them to see if they were really holy people. Because part of our Christianese, part of our culture that comes along is that, that we need some sort of special training, that we need some sort of approval to actually be able to work with the Spirit of God. We need to accept the promise of God. And that's it. Because it's not about our character. It's not about how often we read the Bible or pray that enables the Spirit of God to move. It's the excitement in our spirit that we are the recipient of an incredible legacy 
that Jesus Christ died for. He died to give us the earth. He died to give us life on this earth and for eternity everlasting. If we remember that, we can have the boldness to pray for people, to lay hands on people, heal the sick, and secure in the knowledge that Jesus died so it could happen. We didn't get smart. We didn't get holy. We didn't get really good at doing these things. None of that actually helps God's spirit do what he wants to do. But our willingness to step out and do it does. You guys can all sit down. Before I finish, as we do every Sunday, I want to issue an invitation not based on how good a person you think you are, not based on whether you feel that you need salvation or God or anything else in your life, but based on the fact that I know that Jesus Christ died on a cross some 2,000 years ago so that we could accept his offer of a relationship with his Father in heaven. Like the story about Uncle Jack, Jesus died and basically said, if you come to me and accept my gift, it's yours. He didn't say, if you be a good Christian, it's yours. He didn't say, if you tithe, if you pray, if you read your Bible and accept my gift. Because who knows that if there are conditions on a gift, it's not a gift. Vicky said, don't go there. She knew what I was going to say. It's not a free gift. Um, no, let's not. But it is a gift without conditions. If we are prepared to accept the gift of salvation that Jesus Christ offers, it doesn't come with strings. But we have to accept. We have to actually turn up and say, yep, I accept that offer. And so I am... What happens after that offer depends on the relationship you build with Jesus Christ. I can't promise you what happens there because that's between you and God. I can help you along the way, but I'm not an intermediary. I'm not little God helping you to meet big God. I'm just another guy who's met Jesus. I've lived for, must be nearly 20 years now, with the benefit of Jesus in my life. And so... Nearly 30? Oh, good grief. Time flies when you're having fun, let me tell you. And so all, all I'm doing this morning is saying, look, I want to invite you to take up that invitation. And once you've taken it, I will do all in my power to show you what, that, what the benefits of, that, of accepting that invitation are. So can I ask you this morning, to bow your heads, close your eyes just for a moment. And if you're here and you have never taken the opportunity of saying, okay, I'm going to take that offer of salvation. I'm going to become a follower of Jesus Christ. If you have never done that, 
then what we do in this church is we offer people the opportunity, if you raise your hand when I make that offer, I'll invite you to pray a prayer with me that states out loud that you are taking that offer that Jesus gives you. And we will give you materials to help you continue on that walk afterwards. But it's just a simple prayer that we ask people to say out loud so that other people can hear it, to acknowledge that we are actually taking that offer up. If you have never taken up that offer, you've never said, yes, I want to take the offer of Jesus to become a son or a daughter of God. While nobody's looking around, all heads are bowed, could you raise your hand right now? Because I'd love to pray with you. If that's you, just lift it right now so that I can see it and we can pray a prayer together. Now you might be sitting here in church and you've been to church before and you've made that decision but you feel that you've slipped far enough away that it's, it's a good time to actually recommit to that decision to say, Jesus, our relationship has slid far apart but today I'm going to make a pledge, a promise to take up that offer again and walk with you. If you're here this morning and that's you, could I ask you just to raise your hand because I'd love to pray with you as well. Excellent. Open your eyes, look to the front. Let's just pray before we finish this morning. Lord, with all our hearts, we give you thanks for your gift, your promise. The fact that while we still didn't know you, while we don't acknowledge you, your love for us, your care for us is such that you are willing to die on the chance that we would take up the offer of of eternal life with you. Lord, this morning we confess our sins to you. We ask you for forgiveness as we repent of those sins. And we ask you afresh to enter our hearts. so that our life is transformed day by day. Amen.